Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. A couple of weeks ago when I launched the whole series, I talked about the health and wealth gospel, the health and wealth theology that's out there. And sometimes we think, just trust God for more. And we don't say that because that sounds so greedy, but really we're saying we want to trust God for more. We want to trust God for complete health. I'm wondering sometimes that the Lord allows us to um, go through times of loss or less, loss or less, or it gives us a time that we don't get the health that we so much would want because He wants to test our faith Are we willing to be satisfied with where we are right now and to still rejoice in what we have so we could slay the so-called demon of discontentment? And I'm wondering if maybe that this might be happening with you and me. Now look over here at Philippians again. And I want to read just a little short passage of Scripture here. We're going to read verses 11 through verse 13 of Philippians. And follow along as I read this to you beginning at verse 11. Philippians chapter 4 verse 11. It says this, Paul speaking, he is writing now to the church in Philippi. The last passage, Paul was writing to a pastor in Ephesus, and he was telling the pastor what to tell the people. Here he's just going, he's bypassing the pastor, and Paul is writing right to the people. So he says, not that I speak from want or self-sufficient, not not that I need more, I'm okay. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Now think about that for a moment. I have learned. Which means he didn't wake up one morning and he was content. He wasn't waking up one morning and I'm now satisfied. He had to go through a process that you and I are going through now and learning how to be content with whatever situation we're in. Let me take it a step further. The Holy Spirit had to bring about these teachings in his life And now it's recorded, so we have it today. He had some of the Old Testament that we're going to study today. He already had that training. So what he got was what he learned from what God brought into his life from the Word, from the Spirit as he was writing this, and perhaps from life lessons that you and I might have learned as well. The difference is there's no new revelation from the Lord. There is no more you have to hear from God. No one has to say, God told me to tell you this is what you've got to do with your bucks. Everything we need is right here. But he had to learn it. So now as your pastor and hopefully your friend, my question is, are are we ready to open our eyes that we may see these truths and really learn these things? Learn how to be content? I believe that we have now a family that wants to do that. Faith family. Let's go a little bit further in the passage. He says, I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Watch. Both of having abundance and suffering need. Now, this passage itself will preach a whole Sunday morning message and I don't have the time for this. But what it's telling us is this, that he had to learn how to be humble. He had to learn to be satisfied with whatever state or circumstance he was in. But he also had to learn when he had abundance. So in other words, when you are given a lot of wealth, there's still lessons we have to learn when we are blessed with wealth. However it may have come to us, which we're going to learn what that might be in a moment. 
But for right now, that's a learning process. So right now, whatever age we are, let's go through these truths to learn how to trust God. Now let me give you a real example. There is a man by the name of Job. There's a whole book of the Bible about him. He was a very righteous man, attempted to be as righteous as he could, like many of you, maybe all of you. He loved his kids so much, seven sons, three daughters, that he would do sacrifices and take them to God, you know, in prayer, and just making sure they were rightly connected. And yet there was something that was going on in his life way beyond where he was. Something that was going on way beyond the earth. It was done in the heavenlies between God and Satan. Satan wanted to show to God that Job was going to stop trusting God and curse God, so to speak. And so the Lord said, go ahead, take my servant Job. Do what you want with him. So he unleashed Satan on Job like Satan may be unleashed on you right now. Those listening on the radio or on the internet. I don't know you, I don't know what you've lost. He lost his flocks, he lost his crops, he lost his herds, he lost his servants, he lost his children, adult children, and I don't know how many other were connected to that. That whole thing was gone. He lost it all. Then it went from his wealth to his health, and he lost his health, and he had boils from the tip of his head to the bottom of his feet, and he had to take broken pieces of pottery and scrape the boils and the dead skin off of him as he hoveled in a little pile of ashes and dirt. And yes, he was angry. If he wasn't angry, I don't think he'd be normal. That's a normal response. And so, yeah, he cried out with God. Who hasn't? I have, you have, we all have. But yet in all of that, he would say this. Though you slay me, Lord, yet will I trust in you. While he was making that statement, he was surrounded by his best buds, and they were giving him all this confounded, frustrated counsel that didn't help him at all. And the love of his life would be his wife. She just basically said, Job, just curse God and die. Get it over with. He's the one who said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked will I return thither. I started with nothing. I'll end with nothing. But in any case, blessed be the name of the Lord. So what that was telling me is that he could trust God not to get that back or get more money or maybe even get his health. He could trust God that God was large and in charge. And maybe that's one of the questions we could ask ourselves. Is God testing me right now? Will I now put my trust in him to do whatever he wants with me? And maybe for this it might be, okay, not just to suffer in my mismanaged funds and poverty and uncertainty of future, but now I'm going to trust God that his word is right and I'm willing to make whatever correction, attitudinally, from the mind, the heart, to the life, that it'll take to honor him. All right, here's the fourth question, and that is, have I already misused what God has given me? Now, we're not going to talk about the sin part. We're just going to talk about mismanagement for a little bit. Have I mismanaged what the Lord has already given to me? I don't know. You might ask yourself that question again. The bigger question is, Lord, why am I short of money? I begin to ask myself, what, how have I misused the funds? Let me go through these very quickly now. First of all, purchasing unnecessary items when I needed to save for more important things. Maybe we're in this hole because we had enough dirt to put in the hole, but we spent that dirt on stuff that was not very important for us, unnecessary items. Well, you know the antidote to that is just stop spending on unnecessary items. That will at least begin the process. The second is to spending money on sinful or harmful things. Now we're taking God's money and we're now putting it forth towards things that are anti-God, 
anti-away from their basic purpose. Future weeks, we're going to talk about God's given us money to take care of the basic needs of our family, to help others, and the further kingdom work for the glory of God. All right, so maybe we've spent it on things we shouldn't. Alcohol, drugs, tobacco, pornography, and certain types of entertainment that is not being used to further the work and the character of God. All right, number three, the third bullet point, using it, money, on things which are not as important at this time. It doesn't mean they're wrong, they're just, the timing's not right. I'm horribly in debt, I need to get out, I need to save for certain things in the future. And by the way, honey, uh, do you want to have a small grande or a venti? You know what I'm saying? Do you get what I'm saying? Do I want to supersize the Coke right now? Do I want to spend it on things that right now may not be the wisest thing? It's the timing is wrong. The fourth bullet point is making purchases which make me feel significant or make me feel important. They would be like status symbols. And sometimes we think that this would be our professional men and women who've got to keep up with all of this by the kind of uh, clothes they have, the cars they have, the places they go, the where they eat and all of that, but I think that this could also fit into teenagers that have a very limited budget for whatever they may earn or mom and dad give them, but they're doing this because it makes them feel significant. Maybe another way to say that is that we want to show that we're successful when we're really not successful. The next bullet point is making purchases which make me feel more secure. That is intended to say I'm going to be buying my friends. I want to do this so people will like me. It's different than the secure part, or the significant part. Now it's the secure part, where they really, really like me. Adults can do that, too, in a couple of ways. One, they've got to be the one that always picks up the check when you go out to eat, because if you do that, people think, oh, what a nice guy you are, so you kind of buy your friends. You've got to kind of do things with what they're doing to kind of keep up with them. You young married people, let me give you a caution. When you hang around people that have more money than you do, they have the luxury at this time until maybe they go through some issues to be able to do that. You then will feel obligated to somehow reciprocate on the same level and that could send you back horribly. And so I want you to be encouraged not to hang around on a consistent basis those who have wealth and have the freedom to be able to spend their money in a way that might create a temptation for you in the least. All right, here's the fifth question, and we're going to get to my little table display up here, and that is, have I violated biblical principles regarding my money? We're going to have to go quickly here. I'm running out of time. First of all would be the word stinginess. There's going to be six of these here now, so you're going to ask yourself, have I violated any one of these six in my life? First of all is stinginess. The verse says this, Proverbs 11, 24 through 26, There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due. In other words, I should give this, but I'm going to keep it. And yet it results only in want. In other words, the more we keep, the more we want to keep, and we kind of like build up our, our treasure chest. The generous man will be prosperous. What kind of man will be prosperous? The generous person will be prosperous. And he who waters will himself be watered. He who withholds grain, the people will curse him. But blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. So what's the antidote to that? A generous person, a generous person recognizes that all his possessions belong to the Lord and uses them for his glory. Now, let me see if I could use this illustration. <clears throat> you can't see this on the radio right now, but I'm having my keys. Notice what I do with my keys. I threw them up and they went to the carpet floor here on the platform. 
That little process is called gravity. If I want to be more technical, that is the law of gravity. Now let me tell you that gravity is not bad unless you have a treasured antique vase that you're not holding tightly and you drop it and you... <laughs> and how many of you might have lost that? Gravity. So some of you, with this stinginess is, is not the antidote. Give everything away so you can get all of this back because then you're giving to get. When you give to get, you don't get. When you give not to get, you get. Now you'll have to hear that again on the tape later. But that's my point. So gravity is not necessarily bad unless it's in a situation that is not good. So yes, we should give. And it's confined by other scripture that says we're to use that money in our giving in a wise fashion. So we don't give it all away. So first of all, you'll see my little, little, I guess, cups of water there. I'm going to use this bucket here to represent, I don't know, a savings account for you young people that are watching, a piggy bank, whatever you might put your money in. I don't know where it is. We're going to call this, this is it. And it's pretty empty right now. And you want to fill it up. The first thing you want to do is to go back over your life and say, have I been holding too tightly on what I have and God has had to remove it from me and didn't replace it until I learned that part of what He's given to me, the purpose of it is to give it away to others. That's the whole context of Scripture there. So we need to give. So let's pour a little bit of generosity into this bucket right here and we begin to fill it. That's principle number one for our first question. Stinginess. Am I going to be a generous person? Keeping the generosity within the confines of Scripture. The second bullet point would be hastiness. There are some that are short of money because they've been hasty with what God has given to them. Now there's a whole battery of verses here, so let me just read them to you. 2021. These are all in Proverbs for the rest of the message till the end. It says, An inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Circle the word hurriedly. There are some people that want to manipulate and intimidate those that will probably provide them an inheritance, a parent or grandparents or others. And God says, let God take care of it in His timing. That's where we trust the Lord for the timing of the inheritance. It'll only come back to bite you. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. But everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. Circle the word hasty. Hurriedly hasty. Proverbs 21.5. Go to Proverbs 28.20 and 22. It says, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who makes haste, circle that in your Bible, to be rich will not go unpunished. A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and does not know that want will come upon him. Now let me speak to you for a second. Again, you young marrieds, you young singles for just a moment here. It is very common for young people to enjoy what mom and dad have. A nice car, relatively nice house, house filled with some comfortable furniture, might have some technology going on in the house. And now you move out of the house or you're now beginning to start your own little life with your funding. And pretty soon what happens, and this is a tendency that we've all had. I've been there, done that, and I was bit by it. And that is, I wanted now what took my parents 20 to 40 years to get. Did you hear what I said? And so we plunge ourselves into overwork, overstress, over everything at the expense of relationships with God and others, at the, at the, at the indebtedness in our life, because hastily we want it now rather than taking the time to get it later on. May I add one more thing? What that does, it so tangles us up with this feeling of, uncertainty about it, indebtedness about it, that we can't even enjoy this sweet taste of what we have. 
because it really wasn't meant for us to have now. Think of how many relationships have been wrecked because of being too hasty. So what's the antidote to that? A discerning person makes decisions now to avoid future failures. A discerning person makes the wise decisions now to avoid future failures. So be careful of hastiness. I remember when I felt that God wanted us to take the Word of God in our teaching and put them on radio. This was back in 1979. It's hard to believe it's been that long ago. And at the time, I thought I needed to have a certain reel-to-reel tape recorder because that's what all the big boys had. I had to have a certain mixer. I had to have a certain microphone. I don't want to give you all the titles, but it all had to be that. And um, I went to my dad and I said, Dad, this is what I need to launch our Make It Clear radio ministry. And he says, do you have the money? And I said, no, I really don't. He said, well, you shouldn't buy it. Don't, don't go into debt. You shouldn't do that. But do whatever you want. It's your life. I'm just telling you. So I said, okay, Dad, I won't do it. A month later, I got a trade journal out. And in that trade journal, the very equipment that I wanted was at half price. I called my dad and I said, Dad, I want to thank you. You are a wise man. I'm glad that I did what the scriptures told me to do, that I should honor my mom. Dad, even when you're older, you honor them, listen to them, figure out what their heart is. And they said, don't get it. I did what you said. Dad, thank you. I saved some money, so now I can get it at half price. And he said, no, no. What I said is, don't buy it until you have all the money. Do you have all the money? I said, no. And he said, well, your life. Do what you want. I said, oh, no, Dad. You know, this is a one-time special deal on this equipment. I wanted it now. And I was learning to trust the Lord. So I said, okay, Dad. All right. I won't get it now. And I didn't. We wound up in San Antonio finally unpacked and I went to the largest Christian radio station at the time KMFM back then and I think it's KSLR now I'm not sure and I went up to their studios and I asked them I said um, I have this idea for this radio program there's nothing like it in, Christian, or in Christian radio and um, would you be interested in carrying this program and the man I'll never forget he stood up so fast that his swivel chair slammed up against the glass window and wall behind him and he said I have not heard of anything like that I want this on our station. I'm going to put you on drive time five days a week. I said, I don't have any equipment. He said, don't worry about it. You can use all of our equipment in this multi-million dollar studio. And I will give you keys not only to our office, but to the entire building that we're in. And you can come and go anytime you want to produce your program. I almost blew it when I bought that equipment at full price. I almost blew it again when I bought it at half price. This time I called my dad. And I said, Dad, can I come over? And then I licked his face. No, I didn't do that. But I said, Dad, I am so grateful. I didn't always do that. Third one, stubbornness. Stubbornness. <clears throat> stubbornness. Am I a stubborn person? Proverbs thirteen eighteen. Poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline. But he who regards reproof will be honored. What a back and forth verse. Poverty, shame, neglect, discipline. But you regard reproof, you'll be honored. Proverbs 15, 5, 31 and 32 says, A fool rejects his father's discipline or training, we could say. But he who regards reproof is sensible. Fool rejects. A listener is sensible. He whose ears listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Wise. He who neglects discipline despises himself. In other words, it's really you're putting yourself down. That means you must not really like yourself because you're not listening to be trained. 
But he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. So you have wisdom and understanding if you listen to the reproof, to the guidance that you might have. So the attitude isn't, it's my money and I'll do what I want with it. You cannot be stubborn. You've got to listen to reproof. Carol and I were married 12 years before we could purchase our first little tiny house in a place called Leon Valley, Texas. We arrived there, and when we did, we finally decided we've got to get out of this rental situation. It would be wiser for us financially to buy a cheap little house over here. A lady in our church had a daughter who was in a horrible grinding wreck. She brought her home from the hospital, painted the entire house like a hospital, walls, ceilings, floors, everything was white. You'd walk in there, you'd like you walked into a clinic. Her daughter died. She couldn't stand to be in the house any longer, so she basically dumped the house, quote, on the market, but knew we were looking. Fine Christian lady, fine Christian husband. So Carol and I negotiated that we would like to buy it. So I said, before I do this, I want to go talk to my dad. Somehow he just gets it right. So I went to my dad and I said, Dad, can I buy this house now? Is this a good deal? And he said, well, I would recommend that you get title insurance just to make sure there's no problems with this thing. I said, Dad, 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 this lady is a Christian. She's is like, I could name any one of you, like you all out there. And I said, this lady's gone through so much. She would not defraud us. He said, do whatever you want. You know, I love you. It's your choice. You're a big guy. So I went back to her and I said, ma'am, I know everything is okay and I don't need title insurance, but I'm going to humor my dad. If you don't mind, I'm going to honor him. Can we go ahead and get all of this stuff? She said, you're wasting your money. You don't need all of this stuff. I said, but I want to do this for my dad. So I did. Got a phone call. The house had, look at me now, had $100,000 worth of liens against that house. She did not even know that. She had signed off on another note with her brother who did not pay taxes. And so then the government put a lien on that house. She was so horrified. She said, you know what? I will satisfy that lien and show you that I'll stand with that. I'm going to let you live in this house rent-free for an entire year. until I, You can stay in this house until I can get that thing satisfied, and I won't charge you to do that. I called my dad, and I said, Dad, could I come over? <laughs> there are times that you've got to listen to the reproofs of others. My dad really was reproving me. Son, if you don't do this, you're a fool. Son, if you do this, you'll be a fool. It's hard to listen to someone who's older than you, been around the bar maybe a little bit more, when you're so young and this is such a good deal and everything seemed right. I mean, when you really look at everything I shared with you, who wouldn't have just gone ahead with a deal like that? I can't explain it. I'm not saying my dad is God. I am saying the principle of getting wise counsel and not being stubborn. is So a teachable person. So we have a person over here who is discerning. You add more in your bucket when you are. When you're teachable, when someone can come alongside you and kind of show you the ropes and you listen to them, and these are people that you trust, godly, wise people, especially those that are in your sphere of family, spiritual people perhaps, you're adding more. Each time you're doing this, you're filling up your savings bucket. Let's go to the next point. Laziness. Laziness. Why am I short of money? Laziness. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Ooh, that's tough. Observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, you sluggard? Will you rise from your sleep? Get up. Quit taking so many naps. Quit staying up so late. 
sleeping so long in the morning, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, your poverty will come like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. In other words, it's going to be like someone holds you up. Proverbs 11.6. And then it goes on in Proverbs 20. It says, Do not love sleep or you'll become poor. Open your eyes and you'll be satisfied with food. Wake up. And then Proverbs 26, it says, The sluggard says, There's a lion in the road, a lion in the open square, implying, I can't go out into the city. There are lions out there. I'm afraid. I don't want to get eaten. And that's logical. I don't want to be eaten by any lion either. Who wants to be that? The problem with that is that, that lions don't live in the square. They live in jungles or cages. So in other words, he was prefabricating in his own mind a problem that wasn't real, but it kind of satisfied him. So he was lazy by creating a, a non-need. As the door turns on its hinges... So does a sluggard on his bed, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The sluggard bruises his hand in the dish, buries his hand in the dish. He is weary of bringing it to his mouth again. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. You ever talk to a lazy person? Why don't we go do this? I can't do that. And he goes through all these reasons that sound pretty reasonable to him. But when you step away from them, they don't make a bit of sense. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.